Amen. Thanks, John. So I didn't introduce myself before. Let me do that now. Uh, good morning. My name is Drew Bennett. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Redeemer City. It's good to see you this morning. The summer's caught up with us. I can see a little bit. Uh, pray for Jonathan and Jamie. They're traveling back from vacation, so they've been out of town. Pray for Brandon and Rachel. Rachel's been without uh, Brandon most of the month of July, it feels like, because he's been to the camp. Uh, somehow, uh, Brandon survived both senior high and junior high camp. Uh, with only about three near-death experiences, and so, you know, that's a win, uh, but we're glad to have them back, but there is uh, a lot of coming and going, so thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we've been talking this summer uh, in a series on the incommunicable attributes of God, and if I had to sum up what we're really trying to get across, I would say it this way to you, uh, and I'll say this a couple times because I really want it to, to land this morning. It's just this, how much God matters to you is what matters most. How much he matters to you is what matters most in life. The biblical word for that is the word glory. And uh, glory refers to God's weight or significance. So to glorify something is to ascribe value and worth and significance to it, to him, to make him the most important thing. That's really what we're after because what we've seen is, uh, according to the scriptures, Every problem in our lives, every sin, every spiritual struggle is because there's something uh, that has become more central, more defining, more weighty, more significant in our hearts than him. There's something that has taken up such a, a, a large space in our affections and in our hearts that we have pledged allegiance to it instead of him. And our life tends to kind of go the wrong way when we do that. So the solution to that is, is that he would come to mean more than anything else. Uh, if you're anxious, it's because there's something uh, that, that, you're, that you feel like you need or something that is in danger of being taken away from you, and that thing is the most important thing. The way out of anxiety is for him to matter more than anything else in the world and to know that no matter what the future holds, nothing can take him away from you. Do you see what I'm saying? And so how much he matters to you is what matters most in life. That's what we're after. That's what, the, that's what this series is about. So we're looking at these attributes of God because we want to see that he's really big. And it's as we see that he's really big that we become really small and everything gets put in its proper place. Now this morning, uh, we're, going, we're going to talk about God's eternality, that God is eternal. And you'll notice there in, in, the, uh, in the insert to your worship folder, we're going to follow the same outline. We've been doing this every week. And so we want to talk about him first define what we mean by his eternality and adore him for it. Secondly, we want to see that it's something just like all of these things we've been talking about that we sinfully and wrongfully grasp for because we'd really like for it to be true of us and not just true of him. Instead, what we should do is we should live within uh, the limits of the ways that we are not like him. Instead of grasping for what is his alone, we should be okay uh, to be human and to not be just like him in all of his godness. Uh, and we see, fourthly, that the gospel, what we learn about um, God's love for us in Christ in the gospel is really what allows us to just take a breath, as Patrick said a minute ago, take a breath, sit down, relax. It's going to be okay. That's what we're after this morning, okay? So let's walk through uh, these two passages of Scripture, uh, reading them together, and then we're going to take a few minutes and walk through them. I forgot I had to read the Bible for just a minute. Let's do that before we preach. So if you look there, uh, we're going we're gonna to read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, just the very first verse, and then the verses 11 through 15. Ecclesiastes is in the wisdom literature portion of our scripture. 
So this is really a, a sermon about wisdom. And then Psalm 90, which is really Moses' reflection on God's uh, being eternal. So let's read from these two places in the Bible together. It'll be on the screen behind me. You can follow along in your worship folder or grab your Bible really quick if you'd like. But let's read. From Ecclesiastes 3, hear what the teacher has to say. For, there, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's hearts. Yet, so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. Can you believe that's in the Bible? Isn't that awesome? I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. And nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. And then listen to Moses from Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever... uh, You had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You return man to dust. And you say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. And he goes on in the psalm, down in verse 12, He kind of applies this. He says, so in light of this, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days, which is what Ecclesiastes told us is good. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And so let's, let's walk through these, these two texts together. First, by, by just stopping to take time to adore what we learn of God here. Uh, we're talking about him being eternal. Well, when we say that God is eternal, what do we mean? And how does it lead us to worship? And if I was to summarize what I mean by that for you this morning, it would be this, that, that we, we believe that God, number one, exists outside of time. And secondly, we believe that though he exists outside of time, he uses time, which he created perfectly to carry out his purposes. So look at Psalm 90 again, verse 2. Moses says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So we see there God is from everlasting to everlasting. He is without beginning and without end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And I really love what A.W. Tozer says. These words are just, this is, this is why he's so great. Listen to this. He says, The mind looks backward in time till the dim past vanishes and then turns and looks into the future till um, imagination and thought collapse from exhaustion. And God is at both points unaffected by either. God exists outside of time. He is in an everlasting now Uh, is what the theologians and the philosophers say. For him, there is no before and after uh, like there is for us. He is simultaneously the God of the past, the present, and the future. 
Augustine put it this way. He said, thy present day does not give way to tomorrow, nor indeed does it take the place of yesterday. Thy present day is eternity. Listen to Jen Wilkin. Uh, she writes, and we've been following along in her book. Here's the way she puts it, uh, and this is, this is particularly helpful too, I think. She says, the past holds no, excuse me, the past holds for him no missed opportunity. The present holds for him no anxiety. The future holds for him no uncertainty. He was and is and is to come. Moreover, all of his actions within time happen at just the right time. He is never early or late, never subject to the tyranny of, of a deadline, never in a hurry, never playing catch up with a schedule that is careened out of control. Time never passes too slowly or too quickly for him. Uh, we're told in the scripture, with a day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Or in Psalm 90, it talks about him uh, the, the, uh, sweeping away a thousand years like a flood, like a watch in the night. It's nothing to him. It's just a little snap of his fingers. And he is so completely in control of temporal sequence that he is able to accomplish precisely what he wants. John Frame, who taught me systematic theology in seminary, put it this way. He said, time is his tool in accomplishing his purposes. And that's what the teacher means when he says, Ecclesiastes 3, that there is a season and time for everything, verse 1. And in verse 11, that he makes everything beautiful in its time. Isn't that a great promise? Don't you love that? Okay. Hello? Yeah? <laughs> Just making sure. We're, okay. Ecclesiastes, I know it's, I'm hot too, it's, you know, I'm going to the beach later today, but let's be here right now, okay? Ecclesiastes 3, 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. That should really just, there, that should tug at you in some way, that promise there. Now, not in my time, not according to my timeline, it doesn't say that. It says God works in time in a way that only a mind not bound by time can understand. To, to that point, we have such a trouble believing the truth of a verse like that, largely because we are 70 years or so on the earth. Of course we're in a hurry. But God is not. With him, it's 70 billion years, and then we're just getting started. Think about that. See? His timeline is beyond time itself. So yes, everything will be made beautiful. Every sorrow or harm we suffer will be redeemed for good, but probably not tomorrow Probably not even, you know, next year. Probably not even in our lifetime. It may take a million years. And that's why he says in verse 11, we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end because our beginning and end is just too compressed, 70 years or so, but that does not mean that what God is doing is not perfectly timed. It is always. And eternity will be the endless rejoicing of seeing him make all things beautiful in its time. So we should adore him. These are causes to adore him. He, he, he wields time as his tool to accomplish his purposes, which is to, I love verse, um, uh, verse 15, which is to seek what has been driven away, to restore all that has been lost and broken in the world. Uh, the problem is, is that instead of adoring this part of who he is, we, we envy it and we want it for ourselves. We want to wield time as a tool to accomplish our purposes just like he does. We want to be outside of time because for us, time feels like a box that we can't get out of. Time is a limit and not a tool and we don't, 
do well with limits. Now, what happens when we try for this? Okay, that's what we want to talk about next. What happens in life when we really do grasp for this, this part of who God is that belongs to him alone? Okay, but before we get to that, there's something good here uh, that, we have to, that we have to get to before we get to the bad. And I want you to look at verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 3, where uh, the teacher says that God has put eternity into man's heart. You see that? Meaning that, there, that part of what we have to wrestle through here is that there is in each of us um, the feeling, the intuition, call it whatever you want to, that the world that we live in is not our home, that every wish granted to us falls just a little too flat. Every loss that we experience stings just a little too much. And we have, we have the sense that something really is amiss here. Uh, this world really does not carry through on, the, you know, the hopes and the promises that I have for it. Sheldon Van Alken uh, is the author of a great book, A Severe Mercy. You ought to read it. It's really, really great. And he wrote about this. He was a, an English intellectual, a student at Oxford. And he wrote about his struggle with faith uh, and his eventual conversion. He eventually became a Christian. And I, I like it. Partly because it's just a beautiful story. Partly I love it because he became a Christian by being intellectually won over to Christianity through exchanging letters with C.S. Lewis. And so you kind of know I'm, I'm, I geek out about him a little bit. And, um, and so um, Lewis, of course, would say things like this, and it's really kind of stuck with, with this man, uh, Sheldon Van Alken. Lewis would say, if I find in, in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, then the only logical conclusion that I can come to is that I was made for another world. That is eternity in the heart. This nagging sense that there must be something more, that there must be something beyond. And so Vanalkin took Lewis's words to heart and he wrote about it. And one of my favorite passages in the book uh, that he, he's really wrestling philosophically uh, with this idea of, of uh, Christianity and um, something other than materialism, that there's something beyond the world that we, that we are in now. And uh, he, he, he this, but this is my absolute favorite. He says this, he says, uh, notice how we are perpetually surprised at time. So he says, we say, how time flies. Fancy little Johnny being grown up and married. I can hardly believe it, right? Notice how we're surprised by time. He says, in heaven's name, why? He says, why, does, why do we continually seem to be surprised by how, how fast time seems to travel? He says, unless there's something in us which is not temporal. We were made for eternity, for permanence, to experience fuller joys than we do now that never fade but get better and better and better forever. And so the time we inhabit now is a place where the best things in life really do slip through your fingers, right? You have them for, it feels like a brief second, and then they're gone. And there doesn't ever seem to be enough time. And the reason is, is that we've been made to live forever. We've not been made to live with this ticking clock in the back of our heads that's counting down to the day that we die. That is not what we were made for. We were made to live forever, but of course not yet, not now. For right now, see, we are forced to live in time. Uh, there was a movie made not long ago, Justin Timberlake and Killian Murphy uh, was in, were in the movie, and it's called In Time. Anybody see that? In time, and it's fascinating. It's a fascinating um, just exercise in 
in art and curiosity. They're in this, in this film, in this world that they create, there is no money, there's only time. So whether you're rich or whether you're poor is determined by how much time you have. You get paid in time. You buy groceries with time. You pay rent with time. And when you are out of time, you are out of time. Right? But as long as you have enough time, you can live forever. And it really is a fascinating idea. Think of the way that we talk about time. Think about the words we use. We say, I have time. We say, I save time. I waste time. I mean, this is a very godlike stance towards time. In God's hands, time is a tool for the accomplishing of his purposes. But instead of worshiping this feature of his divinity, we envy it, we want it for ourselves. Because what we'd really like, if we were honest with ourselves for one second, what we'd really like is we'd, we'd like to not be confined by time. We'd love the power. Would anybody love the power to be able to erase the past? How about, how about to be absolutely able to control the present? Anybody, would anybody love to be able to, to uh, stop the passage of time? Parents, I know you say that. You see your kids growing up. Oh, if I could just stop time. Or what about, does anybody, would anybody love to be able to ensure the future? Man, wouldn't those things be great? And that is, there's this desire in our heart for those kinds of things. But can I just tell you, guys, it's just not in the cards. We are bound by time. We are creatures of a particular set of days with a limited perspective. And we cannot be more different from God in that regard. Life, life keeps reminding us of this, doesn't it? Uh, Joe Ragsdale pre- did a great job preaching uh, the same theme at Redeemer Southwest, our other um, congregation last week. And here's what he said. Uh, so, Joe, I'm quoting you in a sermon, man. How about that? Isn't that neat? That is a really cool thing for me. Yeah, you, I, you, he says he stole it. He probably did. But in his sermon, he did not reference who he stole it from. So he's getting all the credit this morning. That's awesome. So if you're listening to this... I'm stealing from Joe who stole from someone he didn't have the decency to tell us who he stole from. (laughs) But he said, in our mind, the time to heal, there's a time for everything, as Ecclesiastes says. And he said, in our mind, the time to heal is when someone is sick. And the time for silence is when I'm done making my point. And the time to die is after a full life and in your sleep. There is a time for everything, and we want to be the ones to set the times. But here's the thing, that right belongs to only God. So instead, our job is to just embrace our limits. See, instead of grasping like we, like we, like we do, and we've talked about every week, to, to embrace these places where we really are limited as good things. Becoming more like God in the best way means becoming more and more human. And we have to do that with time, too. Now, Ecclesiastes is a tricky text. So this is our third point, Okay. Uh, someday we'll tackle it, I think. It's a, little, it's a little dangerous jumping into the middle of a book without the proper context, particularly this one, because uh, this thing can get you all sideways, okay? So be careful, just a pastoral word of caution, be careful with Ecclesiastes, because uh, it, really, it can really trip you up, because he talks out of both sides of his mouth, which my family tells me I do too, so maybe I'm, I'm a wise person, who knows? But that, that's what he does. So um, it is part of wisdom literature, uh, and uh, and part of the wisdom that is there is, in truth, uh, that there's very little that you can control. So you should just settle down. In other words, don't write, sit down, 
and try to enjoy whatever of life you can. So if you look at Ecclesiastes 3, verses 12 and 13, he says, I perceive that there is nothing better for man than to be joyful and to do good as long as he lives, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil, for this is God's gift to man. Now that sounds like hedonism, doesn't it, to some degree? I mean, at least it doesn't, it doesn't sound like stuffy Christianity that a lot of us are, are you know, used to thinking about. And then he goes on to say how we do this, okay? So just eat and drink and take pleasure and have a good time. Do as much good as you can. But how? And then he goes on in verses 14 and 15. For I perceive that whatever God does endures forever, and nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him, and then that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks that which is driven away. So the teacher is saying, stop taking yourself so seriously. That's really what he's saying. Only the stuff that God does is going to last forever. Now, he does stuff through you, too, for sure, but it's still him doing it. And so whatever he has decided to do, he may use you, but at the end of the day, you really can't prevent it from happening. So take a break from running the universe for just a minute and find a hobby and start enjoying life a little. Right? Doesn't that, that doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? You see what I'm getting at? Right? Grab a glass of wine. Sit on the porch with some friends. Because that's the best you can do in life. That's what he says. You're not in control. God's agency, not your agency, is responsible for what does or doesn't happen in your life. So do as much good as you can. Work hard. Help other people. But don't act like you're the one in charge. Because you're not. Now, this actually shows us, this actually allows us, in other words, to do what Psalm 90 encourages. So if you, if you just take that backdrop there in Ecclesiastes, and again, that's all I want to say. I don't want to get any more detail because then I have to explain exactly what he's trying to do there. Just take that advice uh, for what it is. Uh, it's some good advice. Uh, but it allows us to do what Psalm 90 really encourages us down in verse uh, 12 of Psalm 90. And this is where I really want to land and spend the rest of our time, the few minutes we have together. Uh, look at what the psalmist says, what Moses says. He says, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. So part of wisdom is being able to number your days. And my translation of that would be to make every day count. Uh, there's a parallel statement in the New Testament in Ephesians where Paul says that we are to make the best use of the time. So the best way, that is, the most human way to inhabit time is to make every day count by learning that time is not a tool, it is not a currency, you can't exert control over it the way we would like to. You have to learn how to live within it and within its confines, which means the best thing that you can do is really focus on what's right in front of you. The best way you can make every day count is to make today count. Because the truth is, we have no control over the past, very little control, no control over the future, and yet what we do is we waste a lot of our time, ironically, trying to fix the past and control the, pu the future. And when we do that, in the process, we fail to be present in the moment. And so, and, so, and, and that's the irony, and that, that really is the irony, and it's where our grasping for what is not ours really the future and the past are not ours. And as we grasp them, we, what slips through our fingers is the thing we actually can do something with. So the first part of making every day count, then, is to let the past stay in the past. 
And so we just, you can probably see where we're going to go with this for just a minute. So letting the past stay in the past. What we do is we cling to the past by indulging in two different emotions. And this is just straight out of Jen Wilkins' book. I just complete, Joe, I, I tell, when I rip people off, I let people know I'm ripping them off. So I completely ripped her off here. Uh, and she says, uh, we cling to the past in sinful ways by indulging in two different emotions, either sinful nostalgia or regret. And by sinful nostalgia, she means that, that we idolize a time when life was better or simpler, which can result in a perpetual discontentment with our present circumstances. So we, we, we long for the time when the kids were younger or when you were younger. And Jen, Jen Wilkin writes, she says, Life's changing seasons can cause a natural longing for the way things used to be, as though it is not necessarily sinful, but it can become so. We are allowed to grieve the passing of happy seasons, but we are not allowed to resent their loss. That's a really good statement. There's a difference between missing the past and coveting the past. And this is a grasping for godness, to, be, to not be subject to the passing of time, where we resent being, being passed by, you know, by time. But we can also regret. Regret's, regret's the same thing. Uh, with regret, you dwell on the past mistakes and hurts, and, it, and it, again, it robs you of joy in the present. So nostalgia looks back longingly. Regret looks back um, either painfully or angrily, re rehearsing mistakes or, or hurts, and it keeps you locked in the past. And the problem with that is you miss a lot of joy. You miss a lot of surprises. And it's a poor use of time. So if you're constantly looking back and longing for times that have passed and trying to figure out how to get back there, uh, right? Get back there and experience it again. Or if you're stewing on failures and hurts and spending all of your emotional energy trying to go back and fix what went wrong, what, what's happening is you're missing the moment. And that's not numbering your days well. It's grasping for, to control things that you can't control. You're not living, you're fa right, failing to live within the limits and the confines of time. Now, we have a hard time letting go of the past and letting it stay in the past, but we also have a hard time of letting the future stay in the future. But making every day count means, secondly, that we have to do that. We have to let the future stay in the future. And we can cling to the future in the same way through a couple of different emotions, through either sinful anticipation or anxiety. And so here's the same thing. Sinful anticipation idolizes the next stage of life, so it locates happiness in the future. So it's the teenager who can't wait to graduate and move away from his parents, right? Oh, I gotta get out of here and get to college. Or, or the young mom who can't wait to not have little kids or idolizing retirement, whatever it might be. Jen Wilkin again says, looking forward to the future is not wrong in itself, but seeing a future life stage as an escape from the present one is. There is joy in every moment, and you'll miss it if you keep wishing away the present for what you imagine is greener grass in the future. In C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, it is a strategy of hell to turn man into, listen to this, a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, never honest nor kind nor happy now, but always using as mere fuel wherewith to heap the altar of the future every real gift which is offered to them in the present. Always searching for rainbow's end. Never content. Anticipation looks longingly to the future. Anxiety looks to the future with dread. And this is me, by the way. Let me just go ahead and can I get a witness? You know, this, this, is, this is me, right? Fearing the uncertainties that lie there and feeling the powerlessness to control the outcomes that we are desperate to ensure. 
And both are sinful grasping for what is not ours to control time instead of inhabiting it as a gift. And here's the irony, that this passing of time causes us to feel vulnerable because it confronts us with our creatureliness. We are not in control. You with me? Come on, Carter said, eh. So we grasp for control, and, and when, when we do, we don't fix anything. What we do is we make it worse. Our grasping for control is not the solution. It's the problem, according to the Bible anyway. By being so focused, and I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about not taking responsibility for your life. That's something different, okay? But this idea that I have got to be the one that's turning the clock, This being so focused on the past and the future, we miss the opportunity. We miss the wisdom. And so making every day count ultimately means letting the past stay in the past and letting the future stay in the future and instead being fully present in the moment. And here too, surprise, we have to steer steer clear of two different sins, both laziness and busyness. Because both the lazy person, this is Jen Wilkin again, and the compulsively busy person subtly Reject the God-ordained boundary of time. The lazy person believes there will always be enough time. There will always be more time to get around the, impo- the important stuff. Laziness believes that the time God has given is not precious. The compulsively busy person believes there will never be enough time to get everything done. Busyness believes that the time God has given is not adequate. And so a lazy person is characterized by procrastination and missed deadlines and lack of motivation, tons of excuses. Whereas the busy person is harried and hurried and exhausted, and both are broken down versions of what we were meant to be because there is sinful grasping for godness that denies that we are finite. In Ecclesiastes, I'm really grateful for it. It strikes the balance. Wisdom means working hard, setting goals, planning for the future, being responsible. I mean, the sluggard is the fool in Ecclesiastes and in wisdom literature. But it also means taking time to rest, Enjoying whatever you can of life, finding some friends and having a good time, and being as present in the moment as you can be. Now, there's an illustration that I want to give, and, uh, and there, there are a couple of people in my life that hate this illustration, and so it's fun for me to do this, because they've told me that's stupid, and I used to think it was too, but man, the more I've gone down the road, the more this just makes so much sense, okay? So you're ready now that I've built it up? Uh, there's this, and this is Brendan Manning, I think, that, uh, that, I, that I found this in less long ago. And it didn't make sense to me for a long time, but now it, maybe I'm becoming wiser in my old age. Um, there's an apocryphal story about a monk being pursued by a ferocious tiger. And I've used this before, so this may not be new to some of you. But, he, but this monk runs as fast as he could until he reaches the edge of a cliff. And he noticed a rope hanging over the cliff. And, um, and so he grabbed it, and he started to shimmy down the side of the cliff to escape the tiger. It was a narrow escape from the tiger who ran up to the edge of the cliff. But then the monk glanced down, and he saw a quarry of jagged rocks 500 feet below him, and he realized that the rope that he was hanging on uh, did not reach to the bottom, that there were hundreds of feet for him to fall if he were to let go. So he thought about climbing up the rope, but there was the tiger peering over the ledge uh, at the top with hungry eyes, sure to claw him to death if he tried. And just then, as he's contemplating his, his place in life, two mice begin to chew on the rope. What do you do? Now, here's the, here's the story. You ready? At that moment, the monk looked and saw a strawberry within reach growing out of the face of the cliff. And he reached out, and he plucked it, and he ate it. And he said, wow, this is the best strawberry I've ever had in my life. I don't know why, and that's the end of the story. 
And I don't know why I get such a kick out of that. <laughs> but what's the lesson? What's the lesson? You can debate that in your community groups later tonight if you want to. But here's what I'm going to tell you what I think the lesson is. I think it means that it is possible, even with a past full of regrets and embitterments bearing down on you like a tiger, and a future full of unknowns threatening to dash you to pieces like jagged rocks, it's possible to not spend all of your time idolizing or regretting the past or anticipating or worrying about the future, but to actually enjoy the moment and whatever it brings because it's coming from God's hand. Right? And that's what it means to number your days and to get wisdom, to live within the constraints of time, not constantly trying to break through to control the past and the future, but to be a creature made for eternity, but still subject to the passing of time, at least for the moment. So let me just finish, but how do we do that? How do you live like I've been describing? Not longing for or lamenting the past, not anticipating or anxiously bracing for the future, but fully invested in the present moment. Well, let me read the end of Psalm 90, because I think it's the key. If you look at that last little paragraph we printed for you, where the psalmist says, teach us the number of our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days, and let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. See, that's what we need. To have a fresh experience of God's love every day, to know that his favor and blessing rest on our lives and that he's making sure that whatever work we're doing, that it will matter, not just in the scope of our life, but forever and ever and ever. And so let me make an argument very quickly for the truth of those uh, promises um, belonging to us from uh, an argument from systematic theology and from biblical theology, okay? So let me just get in seminary professor mode for just a minute here. And so from systematic theology, here's what I mean. If God is eternal, as the scripture teaches, if he is uh, before, you know, before the mountains were brought forth from everlasting to everlasting, uh, if he is be without beginning or end, then all of his other attributes are without beginning and without end as well. In other words, his patience is without beginning and end. His love is without beginning and end. He doesn't lose his patience. It's not like me. My family, it's like, it's like a game every morning. Like, which dad are we going to get today? Are we going to get the nice dad? Are we going to get the grumpy dad? I mean, right? I mean, it's this constant, who are you and what are you like today? That's not true of him. He never runs out of patience. His love doesn't run hot and cold and so forth. In 1 Timothy, it says that he is the king eternal. And in Jeremiah, it says that God, that, that if, if you belong to him, uh, and if you're one of his people, that he has loved you with an everlasting love, with a love that has no beginning and no end. So his sovereignty has no beginning and no end, and his love has no beginning and no end. And that means that his reasons for loving you come from him and not from you. He never started loving you. Think about that. He never started loving you because of something you did. Which means, of course, he will never stop loving you no matter how bad you might screw things up. It also means that whatever's back there in your past, you know what else is back there? God's sovereignty is back there and his love is back there. And if things have changed, if you lost something precious, it's because he is moving you forward in a story that will have an ending that will be so much better than whatever is back there in the past. If there's shame or if there's hurt, whatever it is, 
And whatever's coming in your future, you know what else is there? You know what else will meet you on that future day that if you're like me, you're so scared to death of? You know what else is there? God's sovereignty is there. And his love is there. And you may not be in control of the future, but that doesn't mean things are out of control. He's in control. And he is working all things together to make something beautiful, no matter what twists and turns there might be. So when you woke up this morning, you woke up into God's sovereignty and his love. Today is a day prepared by his love. Everything is set. Patrick, I so appreciate you. All you have to do is sit down and just enjoy. Leave the past in the past. Leave the future in the future. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in what? In it. In this day. Now, that's, that's from systematic theology, but from biblical theology. If your faith is in Jesus, you can be absolutely confident that the favor of God is indeed upon you. And that he is establishing the work of your hands, not because you have a clean record in the past, not because you meet every challenge in the future, but because of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. In Jesus, God himself entered into time, right? Galatians 4 says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father, died a sacrificial death on the cross, and ascended back into heaven. The cross is the assurance that God's favor rests upon us. On the cross, God removed his favor from the Son and poured out his wrath on him instead so that he might remove from us his wrath because of our sins and cause his favor to rest upon us. That is, that's just the basic gospel message. Moses could hope that that would be the case, but we can know, we can be sure, because we know this thing that happened 2,000 years ago. He died for our sins. So that God could take away our sins and cause his blessing, raise his hands of blessing over us. But not only that, his resurrection is the assurance that he's establishing the work of our hands. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's great chapter on the resurrection, he says this to the church, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work and your labor is not in vain. So the resurrection means that our work matters. Tiny little moments, right? Tiny little moments have the potential for enormous eternal significance because while I focus on today, today is not all there is. Today is just this moment. Today is just a little pebble dropped into an ocean of eternity that in a billion years might become a tsunami of good or evil. Today. Not yesterday. Not tomorrow. Today. Right now. This moment. See, that's wisdom. And in the Bible, to be a fool is to be out of touch with reality. It is out of touch with reality to think that we can change the past by obsessing about it. What we can do is make today count. It's out of touch with reality to think that we can ensure the future by worrying about it. What we can do is put our energy into setting a trajectory today towards the tomorrow that we're hoping for. Most of all, though, it's out of touch with reality to think that we can control anything. We can't, but we know who does and the passing of time in his hands is something to rejoice in. If your faith is in Jesus, because of the work of our dear Savior, I can say to you, his favor is upon us. He is establishing the work of our hands. Amen? And that's where all of this starts. And so even as we sing here at the end, uh, let's pray together uh, and ask God to give us 
skin to be comfortable in that particular place that he has called us. So, Father, where we are most uh, desiring to break the bonds of these limits that you've given to us, uh, we need your help because it is foolish. We, we live as fools out of touch with the, with the truth and the reality of our lives, not properly inhabiting the limitations of our creatureliness, but drunk on, um, on our own selfishness and pride, thinking that we really do possess the, the power, that we have the resources, that our riches and our, our um, wisdom and our physical strength is enough. Forgive us. Uh, forgive us that we are so dead set on making ourselves your rival instead of properly adoring and giving thanks to you and putting our lives in your hands uh, because you are worthy of being trusted because of all that we see that you've done, the way that you've exposed your heart to us in Jesus Christ. And so cause us to be people that would rejoice in your gospel even as we sing here at the very end of, our, of, this, of this service. And in light of the gospel, give us great grace to leave our past to you, to the one who takes our sins and casts them into the depths of the sea, to the one who makes everything that is sad beautiful in its time. Give us grace to leave our future in the hands of the one who promises a hope and a future to us. That we may be faithful to look right in front of us and see the work that you've called us to today, this day, this moment, to be attentive to you and to our own hearts and to the people you've called us to love, that we might bear much fruit that will glorify you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The truth of, uh, of that is that uh, God, takes, God takes great risks in loving us. Uh, and I know that's a weird way to talk about him. We're on the, we're on the edge of, of, of a language that's a little uncomfortable with that. Uh, but leaving the 99 for the one is a huge risk. Uh, but, but he's risky and prodigal with his love for us. When we see that, then we can be risky and prodigal in our love for him. And that's what he's called us to do, to go. Uh, whatever it is, uh, this is a day that he has prepared for us. We go out into this day, and then tomorrow we go out into that day, and so forth, knowing that there are days prepared for us, that is, there's work that's prepared for us to do, and we put ourselves to that work, leaving the past and the future to his great love. That's, the, that's what these words mean. And so receive this word of benediction and then go in his power and grace uh, to love and serve. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.